you know, in 2002, uh, there was a movie that came out called uh, Like Mike, right? Uh, it was universally panned by critics. I loved it, uh, but uh, it starred a child rapper named Lil Bow Wow. Have you got, who's heard of Lil Bow Wow? Not, not many people, right? <laughs> Maybe a few of you. He's now actually just called Bow Wow, right? <laughs> I mean, completely serious. He's, he changed his name to now just Bow Wow. Uh, but I really, I actually loved Lil Bow Wow growing up. Um, in this movie, uh, what we know is Lil Bow Wow, I actually forgot his name in the movie, uh, but he, found, he finds a pair of shoes uh, and he realizes that they belonged to the Michael Jordan, right? Uh, they are out on the street, and as he's about to touch these shoes, he is struck by lightning, right? And what we realize is over the course of the movie, he finds out that he has the same abilities as Michael Jordan, right? He doesn't just have the shooting abilities of MJ. He doesn't just have the basketball IQ of Michael Jordan. No, he is like Mike, right? He has the exact same characteristics, the exact same abilities as Michael Jordan. Therefore, when Lil Bow Wow played basketball, right, all the people saw Michael Jordan. They saw his imitation of him. They saw his likeness of him. They saw Michael Jordan from Lil Bow Wow. Now, why am I talking about this? You see, in the book of Luke, we're asked this simple question of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what we learn is that to be a disciple is not only just to learn a skill set, is not simply to learn one part of Jesus or one area of his ministry or one kind of section of his character. We are called to follow after him. Jesus tells us that to be his disciple means to deny ourselves, to, follow, to pick up our cross, and to follow after him, just to do what he does. And when we do what he does, when we follow after him in this way, our hope and our desire is that when people see us, they see a glimpse of him. That they don't see who we are, they don't see our character, they don't see our faults, but because of the way that we love, because of our sacrifice, because of all these things, our hope is that when people see us, they see a glimpse of Jesus Christ. You see, church, this was the story of the early church in Acts. You see, the story back then was that this early church was so special this early church was unlike any other community back then. And the reason why is because they were so immensely radical in what they did. The Bible says that they would give of their possessions, that they would love, that they would sacrifice, that they would pour out again and again. And the reason why this early church was able to do so, was willing to do so, was for one thing, it was because Jesus did it first. Jesus was the one who humbled himself. Wash the feet of the disciples. Jesus was the one who would eat and dine and care for the lowest of the low. Jesus was the one who was willing to pick up his cross, carry it to Calvary, and be crucified by the very people he was trying to save. Jesus was willing and able to do those things. And the early church, they understood that. 
They've realized that. To be a disciple of his means I am going to follow after him. I am going to do my very best to follow after Jesus Christ. I am going to sacrifice as he sacrificed. I'm going to humble myself because Jesus humbled himself. And the Bible tells us that because the early church was willing to do that, it says thousands were converted daily. My brothers and sisters, I hope and I pray that for us as a church, for us as disciples of his, that we would have that type of calling as well. That we would be challenged to be able to give, to be able to serve, to be able to love in this way, because Jesus did it first. That we wouldn't just be like Michael Jordan, like another person. No, no, no. Our hope and our desire is that as we serve and give and love, that, that people would just see a glimpse of Jesus Christ through us. See, church, this is what it means to be a disciple of his. In this passage, what we read is that Jesus brings 72 of his disciples together, and he sends them out to different cities. And he gives them these instructions, he gives, us, he gives them these commands, he tells them what to do as his disciples. And from this passage, we learn three things about discipleship. First is the mission of discipleship. Second is the message of discipleship. And third is the motivation of discipleship. You see, when Jesus sends out the 72, he tells them one specific command. He says to go and heal the sick. Verse 9 says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. For us, when we hear the word healing the sick, we automatically assume one thing, that it means to heal the blind, to maybe heal leprosy, to to do physical healings of the body. And that's true to a part. But what we also know and what we also read is that in the Greek, it's actually much more encompassing. Because healing the sick doesn't just mean healing the body. It also means to help mend and heal relationships and communities. It means that he calls the disciples to go out into different cities and to go and see how people are interacting together, to see how broken relationships are, and it's their duty, it is their calling, it is their command to bring people back together. Church, it is our command as disciples That where we see brokenness, where we see things that need to be mended, where we see people need to be healed, that we are the ones who are going to be used to do that healing for them. You see, church, and the reason for us that we are able to do that, the reason why we're able to give and to pour out and to love and to serve in this way in order to bring healing, because it's not easy, no, it's not, But the reason we're able to do these things and to pour into other people is because God has already poured into us. You see, if we assume that we are being poured into with other people, that that if people are able to respond to us, that that's when we're able to give, you're going to be sorely disappointed in your Christian walk. But what you have to realize is that for us as disciples, because God has already poured infinitely into us, because he has already died and risen again for us, because he has already poured out again and again for us, because every good and perfect gift is from the Lord, and because we trust in that fact, that is why we're able to pour out 
again and again. The Bible gives us so many examples of this, of where God tells so many people, hey, because I have poured into you, because I have met you, because I have done these things for you, your calling is now to go pour into others. When Abraham meets, G- when Abraham meets God, he says, come here, I'm going to bless you. Now get out and bless others. When Moses meets God, God says, come to the burning bush, I'm going to meet you. Now go out to Pharaoh, I'm going to bless you to bless others. When God talks to Isaiah, he says, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to remove your guilt. Now go out and preach the word to others. That is your duty. You are not called to simply hoard the blessings to yourself. You are not called to simply just be a blessing onto just yourself. You are called to bless others. How are you blessing other people, church? If it is only geared towards you, if life is only towards you, you're doing something wrong. The Bible tells us that God uses our specific giftings and our background to speak to the people around us. That famous verse, Ephesians 2.10, says, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has already prepared for you to do. God has created us to do something pretty great in the lives of other people. And the Bible tells us that he is going to use your specific giftings, he is going to use your specific abilities, and he's going to use your past and your background. That includes the good things and the bad things to be able to speak into the lives of the people around you. He has already created you in advance to be able to do that. And so for you not to do that, you are taking away a blessing that God is already trying to give to somebody else. So for us as a church, as disciples, our calling is to give because we have been given so much. We are to pour out because God has already poured into us. And for us, we have so many spiritual blessings. For us, we have been given so many gifts that we are called to continue to pour out those gifts. Now, how do we pour out those gifts? I'm just going to do a little uh, refresher for you. Ephesians 4.12 says, Our gifts are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Your giftings, your abilities, the things that you have in your life are given to you by God, not for yourself, but to bless the church. Do you see that? For building up the body of Christ. You are called to bless others and to build up the church. Oh, Pastor Danny, I don't know what I can do. I don't know how to bless others. I don't know where I can serve. I I just don't know what, what I can do. Well, I can tell you what to do. Go to our website, shiningstar.life, right? Go on a tab that says serve. Look at all the serving opportunities there, and then email me which one fits your gifting. Email me the one that you desire to serve in, and we will make sure that you get plugged in. I will make sure that you are able to serve. Not because we need help in our church, no, because it is a commandment from the Lord that tells us that every disciple should be serving for the kingdom of God. Now, Pastor Danny, Pastor Danny, I, I, uh, I don't know what my giftings are. I don't know what, what I should do. I, I, I just, I have no idea what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at, 
but I have no idea what I'm good at. I know what you should do, right? Go outside, right? Right here, right in a parking lot. Take one of the parking vests, parking attendant vests, put that on. Get one of the things that they wave with, right? I don't know what, don't know what that's called. And then start to help cars go into the parking lot spaces. That's what you can do. Look, I know that sounds a bit facetious or whatever, but I'm being completely serious here. Because our calling, yes, is to find our gifting, but our calling here is also to build up the body of Christ. And so more than where you can serve in your specific gifting, it is more important for you to serve in the place of need. And so yes, if there's a place that fits your gifting that people need, praise God, go serve in that area. But if that area is already filled, if you do not know where your gifting is, then go serve in the place that the church needs. That is your calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, serving and giving is not meant for just one subset of disciples. It is not meant for just a select few and then the rest of us just come into service and just have worship together and then praise the Lord and then leave. No, no, we are all called as disciples of Jesus Christ that if you believe that he is your Lord and Savior to serve and to give and to pour out. That is our calling for all of us. Why do I say that? Because in chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus commands the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles to go out and to do these commands here. But he says in chapter 10, again, the passage that we've read, he says the same thing to 72 disciples. Now, if Jesus had only said that to the 12 disciples, to go out and heal the sick, to mend families, to to bring communities back together, then I think that you would have a really good argument as to say, yeah, I think it's only meant for kind of a select few, that maybe only select few are meant to kind of serve and to give, that maybe that's the pastor's job, that maybe that's only the the leader's job, and, and everyone else is kind of meant to do everything else. But what we read here in chapter 10 is that Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples to go out and do these things. Now, the question is, why would Jesus send out 72? Was it because there was only 72 people who were there? Was it because 72 is a, just a, a special number to Jesus? No, what we understand is that Jesus never does things by accident. He never, he never does things by happenstance. But what we see is that if you read the Greek Old Testament, you will see in Genesis 10 something called the Table of Nations. And it showed us that back then, that in the Old Testament times, there were 72 nations that were represented. And so Jesus purposely picks out 72 of his disciples to go out into all the cities, to preach the gospel, to mend, the, to mend relationships, to heal the sick. Because he's trying to tell us that every single one of us, regardless of your ethnicity, of your race, of your age, of your gender, of anything, we are all meant to go out and do the work of discipleship. That we are all meant to go out and to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow after him. We are all meant to sacrifice, to give, and to love. Church, I, I'm, I'm, uh, it sounds like I'm uh, angry, right? I don't want to sound angry. I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm happy, all right? But uh, 
I want, I want to just encourage you guys too, because I think that as I was reviewing over and, and praying over this passage, um, I felt so encouraged because I think that our church has built such a great culture of this. That for us as a community, when I look upon you guys, uh, many of you, I see so many of you in serving positions, multiple serving positions. I know that I've spoken to many of you and uh, to our life group leaders, to our team leaders, to all these different people that I've been able to go meet, hang out with, and talk, and just eat with. And it has been a blessing because uh, it's not just, it's not me telling you what to do. It is us partnering together to do the work of the ministry. It is us talking about other members, how we can serve them, how we can love them, how we can help them to grow. It's about trying to build up these different teams in our church and how we can strategize for this new season. It is doing all these different things, and it's such a blessing, such a weight lifted off of me knowing that it's not just me, it's not just the staff, it's not just the pastors, but it's all the members working together for the glory of God. And that, I think, is exactly, that is exactly what the Bible tells us we should do. And so I want to give that as a word of encouragement for us, that keep going. Let's keep running the race together. That, man, we are called to, to be disciples of his, that we are not meant to be on the sidelines, but, man, God has great blessings in store for us, that he has poured out so much for us, and so we are called to pour into others. We are called to really just give and to serve and to love because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And I see that as a culture, as an example in our church, and I see that as even more so in the future seasons in this next year. Amen? Yeah. You know, the second thing that we see is that every disciple is equipped with a message. You see, verse 9, it says, uh, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus tells these disciples, I want you to go to these houses. I want you to go to these cities, and I want you to give them a specific message. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Church, we are called to communicate the gospel. We are called to share the gospel to every nation, to all peoples, to our neighbors and to our friends and to our family. If I ask you, what does the word gospel mean? I think many of us would probably know this. The word gospel means good news, right? But I also want to remind you that the gospel is not just any type of good news, but it is life-altering, history-changing good news. That when you hear something that's called the gospel, that it should affect every part of your life because it is never, because your life will never be the same again. It is huge, huge, immense news. It is great news. That's the definition of gospel. You know, for, for me, if I say, hey, I have some gospel to tell you, and that is like, uh, I, I, bought the, I bought pants that were 50% off from Gap, and, and they fit me so well. Man, that, that's like the gospel, man. Like, doesn't that sound strange? That sounds like borderline sacrilegious. That sounds like something off, right? And it should sound off. Because for us, we understand the gospel is so much greater than that. It's not just good news. It is the greatest news. And that's why back in Roman times, what we see is that when a new Caesar would come, upon, would, would come on board, when a new emperor would come on board, that they would send out this letter to all the Roman citizens. And they would say, this is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. This is the beginning of the gospel of so-and-so. 
And they're saying that because they're saying that if you are a Roman citizen, this is going to change your life forevermore. That whether you desire it or not, whether you want it to or not, if you are living in Rome, if you're a Roman citizen, this is going to affect you in a profound and in a way that it's going to be different for you forevermore. Church, in the same way for us, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us forevermore. That we are no longer the same. That whether you want it to or not, the way that you speak, the way that you think, the way that you act is going to change. Because you are no longer from this world. You are no longer dedicated to the things that you can see here. But we are now seeing so much further away, up into heaven, saying, God, I desire what you desire. I want what you want. God, my heart is towards you. And so, God, would you work powerfully in my life? And because our desire is God's desire, our life is changed forevermore. Our priorities are so different. The world's priorities and our priorities are completely upside down. And they should be because we are no longer citizens of this world. We have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that changes us forever. Whether you desire it or not. If you're a disciple of his. The way that you think. The way that you speak. And the way that you act. It changes, church. It changes for us, when we think about the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and what that means for our church and for all of us here, I, I, see, uh, I see this coming to fruition in two ways. The first way is something that I believe our church is, is doing really great at, uh, and I also want to encourage you guys in, that, in it too, which is foreign missions. You know that our church, our primary, one of our primary goals, one of our uh, cornerstone points is foreign missions. And so for us as a church, we have sent out so many missionaries. We are supporting so many missionaries. And I want to remind you today, church, that for a church our size, that the amount of missionaries that we have sent out, the amount of missionaries that we are supporting is unheard of. And I'm not using that word lightly. I have spoken to many pastors, I have spoken to many church leaders, and they're always astonished to see the amount of work that we've been able to do. And I tell them again and again, it's not our work, it's simply through the blessing of Jesus Christ. It's simply through God's power that we're able to do this. That God has blessed the church again and again because of the fact that we follow after his command to go out and reach all nations for him. And so for us, we continually focus upon that one thing, for us, the, that, that great commission for us to go out and reach all nations for his kingdom. And because we are so gung-ho, because we are so all-in for that, I believe God has continually blessed us. He has blessed us for 22, 23 years. And I believe he's going to continue to bless us again and again, to continue to pour out, to continue to support, so that all nations will be reached for him. This is the message that God has given us. And because we believe this gospel to the core of everything that we are, we are willing to pour out everything for this. That's the first thing I see for our church. The second part that I see when it comes to the gospel is personal evangelism. That we are called to personally evangelize to our friends and our family. We are called to personally evangelize to the people around us. It is our duty to do so. Now, the question is, how do we do that? When you read 
this passage. You see in verse 16, Jesus says, Woe to the city, woe to the city, woe to the city. And for us, when we read that, we think, oh, this means probably God is, Jesus is cursing these cities. It's a curse that's sent upon uh, these different cities because they're not accepting Jesus. No, what you realize is that woe is not a curse. It's actually a cry. It's a cry of distress. Jesus is crying out to these cities saying, Whoa, won't you come and, and hear the gospel? Won't you be saved? Won't you hear about how good this is? Jesus is, is going in pure empathy and compassion to these people, asking that they would be changed for the glory of God, for his kingdom. And church, I want you to realize that for us as disciples of his, that when we send the message to other people, our first duty is to love them. Our first duty is to show compassion. Our first duty is to empathize with what, with what they're going through. It is never to condemn. It is simply to love. And as we love, we're able to connect with them. We're able to build trust with them. And in that way, we're able to show an imitation, a, a, a mimic of who Jesus is. But it's not just the love part, church. I want you to also see in this passage that God, that Jesus, he says, to repent. He says to, to wipe the dust off your feet, to turn the other way. And what that means is that you have to also warn the people. That if you simply only give love, you're only doing half the story. That if you're only telling them about Jesus' love and about heaven and about how good God is, then you are doing a disservice to the people around you. Jesus says you have to talk about the love of Jesus Christ, yes. You have to talk about what he's done. But at the same time, you have to warn the congregation. You have to warn the people around you. Because as you tell people about the full story, they're going to be able to make that decision for themselves. So make sure that you're able to tell them from front to the back, from the beginning to the end. So share with love and kindness, but share everything. And lastly, what we see is that when the 72 disciples come back, Jesus shares the motivation for disciples, why we do what we do. Verse 17 says that the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus replies in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, the 72, they come back after preaching the gospel, after healing the sick, after doing all these things, and they are so happy and full of joy because they see lives are changed. They see things are completely different now. And they, see, and they come to Jesus saying, we are so thankful and so full of joy for this. And Jesus says, look, don't be full of joy over that. Now, does that make sense? Should we not be full of joy over that? Of course we should. If you change people's lives through God's grace, if God is able to use you powerfully to mend relationships, to do all these things, you should be full of joy. That is one of the greatest joys of ministry for me. Absolutely. But that should not be the source of your joy, brothers and sisters. That should, be not, that should not be where everything comes from. Because if that is the source of your joy, if the source of your joy is how people change, then you will be sorely disappointed. Because with every success, yeah, you'll be happy. But with every failure, with every person that doesn't change, with every seed that plants that is not coming to fruition, you are going to be in such disappointment. And your life will be up and down. 
And so instead, Jesus looks at the 72, and he says this one thing. He says, don't find joy in those things. Don't let your source of joy be that, but let your source, source of joy be in that your name is written in the book of heaven. You see, it's a past tense. Your name is already written in the book of heaven. My brothers and sisters, if you are disciples of Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, then I have amazing gospel news for you. And that is that your name is already written in the book of heaven and nothing can take that away. That for us at this moment, we are living in this world, but we are not citizens of this world. That only in a little bit, we're going to be going off to heaven where we'll be with our Savior forevermore. That we have a hope everlasting. That there's nothing but up in our trajectory because our last stop is not going to be in this world. Our last stop is not going to be nothingness. Our last stop is not going to be in the grave, but our last stop is going to be in heaven with Jesus Christ forevermore. And that's why for us, we can always have joy. That's why for us, we can always have hope and be thankful in all circumstances. Pray continually and just be able to do all of these things. Be able to serve and to give and to love, knowing that, man, God, he has already written our names in his book. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're going through. It doesn't matter what situation you are in. Your name is already written in the book of heaven, and therefore you are steady. You are like a tree planted by streams of water. You know, there's this book, um, it's called uh, An Unhurried Life by Alan Fadling. And in it, he talks about how true disciples of Jesus are, he quotes, like oaks of righteousness. He says, oaks of of righteousness are planted by the Lord, solidly rooted in God's grace. That doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. It doesn't matter what situations you have gone through. At the end of the day, your roots are so deeply planted in the grace of God and what he has done that he has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. But not only die, to rise again, defeating death, defeating sin, so that when you believe in him, you will have eternal life forevermore. Because our belief, because our roots are planted in that truth, we are able to have joy in all circumstances. We are oaks of righteousness, brothers and sisters. And so for us as a church of Shining Star Community Church going into the end of 2023, going into the rest of 2024, man, I pray and I hope that we would be encouraged by this word, that we would be challenged by this word, that for us, we have a mission, we have a message, and we have a motivation for something great. And so for us as a church, let's push forward and let's just find strength in that. Amen? Yeah, let's pray together.